All right, welcome to episode 32 of the At-Bat Podcast presented by War Media, where we bring you the latest news on Chicago baseball, as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez, joined by Miles Porter and the rest of our War colleagues. We have Gabe Wilkins and Chris Pennant. We'll start with you, Miles. How are you doing today, man? Hey, doing good. Very fun World Series, just like I thought it would be. And uh, congrats to the city of Houston. Congrats to those boys. That was a, that was a well-earned win and just... Uh, I think they proved a lot. They proved a lot that they are a good baseball team, period. I think that's uh that that kind of puts that conversation to rest, and you know it's just it's good. It's, I I look forward to what's going to happen next year. There's a lot of things to talk about today, so look forward to getting into it. What about you, Gabe? How's it going? Going excellent, man. Going excellent. Like like Miles said, you really can't say nothing but great things about Houston for the wherewithal that they were able to show and go through over the course of these last several years and still find a way, you know, to come out on top, putting together one of the most dominant postseason runs I think we've seen in the last 20 years. Is that bullpen was lights out and incredible. Definitely looking forward to talking about that game six, as well as um, off-season talk as well, and among other things. How you doing, Chris? It was a long day yesterday. Uh, Gabe knows this. I was my first time working a polling place. And uh, we could probably fill about 30 minutes with just the stories from that. But <laughs> none of them relate to baseball. So <laughs> it's good to be on the show. No, yeah, I, I was telling Gabe before we came on too. I was like, I've done that before. I've only done it once because I know Gabe said he's experienced. He's had, you know, and I've, I did it like in high school. And it was like, so like, the the whole you know all the, the the long hours I was not used to because if I did that now I think I'd be good just because I like go to sleep at like three to four a.m. so it's like I'm used to it right now but like not like that yeah I can't imagine it's and then also dealing with some of the people I was with that one day too but again like you said we could probably fill thirty minutes uh with fourteen <laughs> with hours of work <laughs> yeah fourteen yeah. hours that's all oh I'm gonna say God. if, if yeah. you to do it you you a real trooper <laughs> <laughs> yeah true, true that. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll start talking about Chicago baseball. And, uh, you know, uh, Chris, you weren't able to make it last week. So we kind of want to get your take on the Pedro Grifola signing for the White Sox. Uh, what did you think overall on that? And, uh, you know, were you surprised, honestly? No, no, I honestly wasn't. Um, I, I was thinking that last week or, or I think a couple weeks back, we were talking about Joe Espada mm-hmm. was the was the main guy in the mix. But when Pedro Grifol's name came up, I I thought he was a good hire. He's a guy with a lot of experience. He's been lauded by Royals players and their front office alike. And, you know, even though the Royals haven't been great in the past few seasons, I think they've gotten to the point where they were always a team that you couldn't look past uh, with Hunter Dozier flourishing the, the year and a half or so. They had Jorge Soler really finding his stroke amidst the changed baseball landscape would be a guy that you don't want to face in in a lot of different situations. Uh, That unexpected year from Salvador Perez, where he was just hitting everything in sight. It's, it's weird. You know, we, we saw the Royals kind of come to the prominence as a team that you could not get out. They didn't hit that many home runs, but they uh, either got walks or just put the ball in play and just kept the line moving and then in their kind of low point, they became a team that had some halfway decent pitchers coming to the forefront and then guys who could hit the ball out of the ballpark and just kind of kind of be annoying, pest, pesky, I would say. 
And so it's it's good for the White Sox to get a guy like that from that farm system, from that organization into their into their organization. Hopefully it can change things for the better. Oh yeah, definitely. And that that's what we, we talked about too. And and you know, as much as you know, I to be honest, for me and, and like it wasn't the you know, it wasn't the pick that I expected. But once you broke it down and once you look into it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And it looks like they got a steal, honestly, because a lot of teams and I've seen a lot of people talk about it in the fact that, you know, I've seen a lot of plenty of pieces that say, hey, you know, surprised uh, a team hasn't given given him a chance, you know, after all these years of being with the Royals. Um, He seems like a guy like Joe, like, you know, uh, Joe Espada, who is, you know, uh, well versed in analytics and whatnot. So, um, yeah, just, you know, it's it's definitely a good pickup. And I think he's going to, you know, the way he talked in the in, in the press conference. Um, I think it's it's a good sign, good things to come for the White Sox for sure. But speaking more on Chicago baseball, uh, of course, um, with free agency officially starting on Thursday, uh, there's been opt outs um, already, um, and you know, and uh, options exercised. Uh, for example, uh, Wilson Contreras is uh, in, uh, is uh, didn't accept the qualifying offer from the Cubs. AJ Pollock uh, didn't accept uh, the qualifying offer. Uh, the Sox actually declined. Uh, the option for Josh Harrison for next year. Um, the Sox exercised the uh, Tim Anderson uh, option for next year. I want to start off uh, with the Cubs real quick, and then we'll get we'll get into the White Sox ones. But uh, uh, Miles, like, you think this is the the is this the real goodbye for Wilson Contreras? Gosh, I mean, it's, it's it's looking like it. I think one of the main things that he that he was, you know, kind of kind of wanting is the feeling of being wanted somewhere. And I think the Cubs organization kind of made that clear this season that they don't want him as much as he wants to be there. And from a player standpoint, that's hard to to want to be around. Um, in in a weird way, I kind of hope it is because I kind of want him to play on a team where he feels wanted. Um, kind of give him a new start somewhere. Um, get him some um, some other money that he deserves as a player. He's an extremely talented two way player. Um, and I think he deserves. He deserves a lot right now, um, and I don't think the Cubs are willing to give that to him. I think that they've made that clear. So I'm hoping for his scenario, he's able to go somewhere um, and pretty much, you know, get what he's earned in terms of money wise and gear wise, and um, you know, just contribute somewhere else. So I think it is. I think this is. Uh, I think this is the end of the Wolves Contreras era. But it'd be cool to have him back. But I think this is pointing in a different direction from what we've been seeing unfold this year in general. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think, I think this is it. But I think, like, you know, at least it's, it's a little. The only reason I think it's a little bit relieving is just because it's, it, the goodbyes are just annoying. You know what I mean? Like, you know, either just either you're gonna do it or you're not gonna do it. It's, and I blame the Cubs obviously for that. Like, just in general, I mean, there's a lot of things that played into it. You know, like for example, and and this just reminds me too that the, and 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 Gabe and Chris will get your opinion on this in general. But the the it just broke on Sunday that. uh the Cubs actually had a deal set in place uh, for Jose Urquidy from the, the starting pitcher from the Astros uh, for, uh, for Wilson Contreras. And, and it didn't go through uh, apparently because uh, the Astros ownership didn't approve of it along with Dusty who didn't approve of it. And, you know, it ended up being, it ended up not really mattering for the Astros. They probably, I mean, uh, I had a friend that was like, they probably just would have won the world series by an, an extra game. But like, you know, it doesn't. Yeah. Otherwise, in general, when you guys when you guys heard that, though, what did you guys think? Like, we'll start with you, Chris. Like, what did you think about, you know, 
the Cubs almost making that deal go through. Cause I think that would have, that would have changed the Cubs, the Cubs, you know, landscape for starting pitching. It, it would have changed it because it is a very talented pitcher, uh, especially, you know, uh, coming from an Astros organization. It's tough to say because mm. I remember Tom Ricketts and, and the Cubs saying that they were going to reduce spending uh, a couple of, like last year, the year before that, which I, I was bitching about myself because it didn't make any sense. You have this money. This basically goes for any owner out there. You have this money. Mm-hmm. If you're crying poor, you're probably lying about it. Mm-hmm. You just won a World Series as recently as, you know, if there's any first graders out there, they were born when the Cubs won a World Series. <laughs> it was not that long ago. So why reduce spending? And even if you have a trade in place and then you are looking at uh, crafting a contract for Jose Urquidy the year after, you make that deal because he's a guy who can really lead your pitching staff at a time where the options that they have are not top line pitchers. Mm-hmm. You know, Keegan Thompson, um, Albert, uh, Albert Alzale, those are good, I think, guys that you can count on to be in a rotation to steady it, but they're not a top line pitcher like Urquidy or anybody mm-hmm. else on that Astro staff. I think that's a guy you get. And I'm not surprised that they didn't get him because of what they've said publicly. I just think it's BS that they are saying that publicly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, what about you, Gabe? I didn't know that Dusty didn't sign off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the tweet. I, I saw the tweet. I heard, I heard yeah. about that they did have a proposed trade in place. Houston was one of the markets that I did see Wilson Contreras fall into had he got dealt during the trade deadline because they did need offensive production at the catcher spot, that was relatively the only thing that they lacked offensively. And we're going to keep it a buck, you know, looking back on the 2022 season. But I, I I don't, I never understood why the Cubs were seeking a shared salary either to Chris's point, especially when they did that a year ago, trading away Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. I didn't get that, especially when you were coming fresh off of a postseason appearance even though it was a shortened season in 2020 when they lost in the wild card round of the Miami Marlins. So I, I I never got that either, especially when you had some talent coming along in the farm system that with maybe a couple pieces here and there, you could have added with that main core. But I, I'm not shocked that Wilson Contreras is seeking to explore the free agency market. And and I also agree with Miles. He, he should seek to go to a place where he is wanted. Because if the Cubs front office and management truly valued him, this deal would have been done a long time ago. Now, I will say that I'm glad that Cubs fans got a chance to say farewell and say goodbye to him through the 2022 season. If this is indeed the final season that Wilson Contreras will play in a Cub uniform. But with that said, um, I, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm shocked that he's exploring the free agency market. And I can't say that I'm shocked that that trade didn't go through, even though I would understand why the Cubs should have, uh, why a fan would say rather, the Cubs should have let it go through mm-hmm. because of the pitching talent and promise that they would have gotten back from Houston. Yeah, and, and then uh, it, yeah, it was it was Jeff Passett from from ESPN that that tweeted out saying that um, they had to get ownership approval for it, but Crane, uh, the owner, I think it was Jim, I think it's Jim Crane, uh, yep. le- leaning on input from Baker spike the deal so they they and they and, and then i forgot i forgot for some reason that they got uh christian vasquez like i thought i thought they had him the whole season but i forgot that they traded for him uh at the trade deadline so they shifted from you know from contreras to, to vasquez which actually is 
is another funny thing because Vasquez had a, a big insurance hit in, in game six of the World Series. So, again, yeah, it's, things just always work out for the Astros, which I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised. And he's a free agent, too, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Richard Vasquez. Yeah. And that deal that Boston made with Houston is what opened up the door for the White Sox to get Jake Beekman when they were looking mm. for left-handed pitching out of their bullpen, who they who the Sox acquired and gave up Reese McGuire back to Boston, mm. who was their backup catcher. For, for most for the first half of the 2022 season for the at least oh wow so yeah there, there you go i didn't know that miles what did you think about that trade like do you, how do you think that if they if they would have done that deal like how does urquidy fit into the what the cubs are trying to do i think in terms of just what they're what they're clearly what the cubs are trying to do in terms of just just arms i think it would have been great mm-hmm. um i think that would have benefited uh both sides player wise um, I think there would be there would have been a both fit on either squad. Um, the Cubs have made it clear that they are they are stretching pretty hard for arms right now. Uh, you know, offensively, we saw this team going in the right direction this year. Still missing a couple of pieces here and there, but it's really the pitching um, that I saw a lot of improvements in the second half. Um, and to kind of add to that a little bit more in terms of kind of gearing up for a big run towards the future, I think it would have been great. I think it would have worked out great. Sometimes it's not always easy to, to to get moved to a team in the middle of the season and, and, and pitch and pitch well. So I kind of like to tell people that you know if if we have someone for like the first like the second half of a season, a half a season, and their first like year as a Cub or whatever team it is, I try not to evaluate them too hard on that. So I think I think it would have gone well, but I would have loved to kind of see how that would have played out over a span of like a year and a half, two years to see how that would have worked and. You know what adjustments the Cubs would have made and how that changes what they do this offseason. Yeah, no, yeah, that that is true, and, and I, I also wanted to say that I agree with what Chris said that it being BS that, that this came out is like for two reasons: one, just for prof- for the sake of professionalism; two, yeah, yeah. Uh, just because it's it, just because it pissed me off. I'm just like, God, you know, could have <laughs> had this guy. So, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, c- talking about. You know, I mentioned the options that were exercised and declined. Uh, Gabe and Chris, were you guys surprised or, or, you know, at all by any of the guys that didn't, you know, for example, I, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say I'm shocked, uh, but I, I thought AJ Pollock would stay, uh, but he, you know, decided to opt out. What, what did you get? What did you think about that? I was surprised too, because what player do you know turns down $13 million mm-hmm. at the at age, age in which AJ Pollock mm-hmm. is at? And he's in his mid 30s. So I, I was surprised by that, but then a part of me was not because this was his first season in his career where he was playing in the American League. We know A.J. Pollock to be a guy who's very familiar with baseball in the National League, specifically in the West Division, where he starred for several years with the Diamondbacks before he got traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was a fan favorite in L.A. Hit the ball rather well in the 2021 NLCS series against Atlanta. So I think He's more than likely doing that in an effort to get back to the National League. I don't know if it's specifically with the Dodgers, but I wouldn't be shocked if he tried to go somewhere like St. Louis. He just seems like a guy that prefers mm-hmm. to play his baseball in the National League. I think he was a good clubhouse guy. I know he had some inconsistencies. and He had stretches where he was hot and cold, but he also had some big hits for this team as well, and he proved to be rather durable. But it's kind of – somewhat of a blessing if, if you're the white Sox because he helped free up eight million dollars that you can use in a in an area where you 
could make significant upgrades, be mm -hmm. it at the second base position or within the corner spot for the outfield. The only thing that this move leaves you with now as a White Sox fan is with questions as to who is going to be your guy in the outfield corners, be it left or right. We know that Oscar Colas is coming, but who are you going to use that $8 million on that A.J. Pollock just helped you free up with a $5 million buyout that he opted to accept as opposed to the $13 million? You go ahead, Chris. I was trying to find it because I thought I saw that um, he, uh, AJ Pollock, was bought out. And he was bought out, but he was bought out for just the five mm -hmm. million okay. against the $13 million option. So, not a big difference in, mm -hmm. in, in perspective. I got to go with, with Gabe because I thought Pollock, while he was slightly inconsistent and while he was very much a candidate to play, you know, to play into a shift with the fact that not only are you playing all 29 teams this year, but that um, extreme defensive shifts are going away. He was a guy who could stabilize one of those corners. And if he wants to test the market, he wants to test the market. But I think it's hard to say for me, for me to say whether it's one of those things that doomsayers would say, which is that AJ Pollock left $80 million on the table, $8 million on the table to get it out of the White Sox. And the positive would be the, kind of the idea that he would rather test the market in a year where his skills as a right-handed uh, pretty good defensive outfielder would be test would be wanted more so wanted it does i think it sucks for the white Sox just because you have to go on one corner or the other in the outfield they haven't had a right fielder for a long time quality right fielder really since abby garcia and i know people would disagree with that but that's my that's my position on it and while Oscar Colas is in the minors, and I think that he should definitely get a look as early as opening day, if not early May, I think Aloy Jimenez is a DH now. And if he's not, he really should be. And so that means that you have somebody, you need to have somebody for left field too. So that's another question that you have facing. Um, Josh Nelson at Sox Machine, Jim Margulis said the exact same things. And so you have to not only fill right field, but also left field and second base. Do you have a good candidate on the roster who can fill either of those latter two positions right now? Second base, maybe. Left field, less likely. So that's something that you have to look at over the offseason. Uh, whether it's in a trade, whether you try to find somebody who would be wanting to take Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets, or whether it's in free agency. Yeah, no, and, and you may, yeah, that's the one thing too that the White Sox have is that they have plenty of options in the sense of which direction they want to go in, whether it be, you know, to deal a guy or to, you know, sign a guy or whatever. So, you know, that's a good thing, you know, for a team that, you know, has a lot to figure out. They, you know, they also have plenty of options. And I think the the whole managerial role, and especially that they got that out of the way real quick. I mean, I'm sure that was the plan. And that's, you know, the smart way to go about things is because, you know, you, you want, uh, you know, the manager to bring in players or to, you know, to, or the, you want the players also to see that they have, you know, a competent manager ready to go. So, um, yeah, it's good. And then, um, all right, so we'll shift over to the World Series. Uh, since the last time we recorded, uh, game six happened and the white and the, well, the white side, sorry, uh, the Astros uh, ended up winning four to one and uh, clinching the World Series uh, four games to two. Uh, I don't, it's another thing too that nobody really was shocked, but, I, I thought it would at least go seven uh, at the end of the day once I was looking at it, you know, but uh, when you really break it down, 
uh, the Astros just outplayed, you know, the Phillies. And it, it, it's funny because, like, after looking at the series and kind of look, you know, as much as, you know, the you got to give credit to the Phillies in general, if it wasn't for that, you know, game one comeback, um, it could have easily just been, you know, uh, you know, four one, and nobody really would have batted an eye at the at, in general. But uh, yeah. So uh, another thing on it too was uh, Jeremy Pena got the World Series MVP, which uh, you know, I I was I was a little surprised, and we gave me and Gabe talked about it the day it happened, but um, I just thought it would be been Valdez, especially you know with the way he pitched that day. Um, but we'll go around Miles. What did you think overall? Uh, not just about the World Series, but that game six and. It was man, it was a pitcher's duel, uh, you know, with Zach Wheeler, but eventually Houston, you know, was able to get to it. And you know what? With that game too, and just kind of going into it, is uh, you know, Schwarber hit that home run to make it one nothing, and I thought we're going to game seven. Uh, and then in uh and then, you know, bottom of the inning, uh the Astros um are able to get a three run. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a three it was a three run nuke from Jordan Alvarez that ball to center to center field in Houston too which is super deep and I I, I don't remember exactly how far it went or whatever but it, it seemed like it went 200 miles an hour also but uh yeah I mean 4-1 Astros Miles we'll start with you what did you think overall about that game and, and just uh the Astros winning it all dude it was a great it was a great uh I mean <laughs> really it was just a matter of the time before the Astros broke through it you know Schwarber, Schwarber caught some barrel on that one. That was a line drive. That was an absolute just just missile uh, that that he turned on, which was great. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, overall, I was very satisfied with the pitching. Um, really, the Astros just broke through in that one inning, and then, you know, when you give up a home run like that of that kind of stature, you don't really feel all that great about yourself as a ball player. It doesn't matter if you're not on the mound or not. That ball was absolutely sent to the moon and back. So I think it's just a matter of just, uh, you know, once the, once the Astros kind of held on to that, you know, they had in the bag, they had in the bag. And, 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 and once again, props to that pitching staff, because they were, mm -hmm. they were carving through that entire lineup, king them 12 times. I, you know, I when, when they were up one to nothing, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is some good momentum. But I didn't, I wasn't sure yet because I'm like, they are playing the Astros. This is a team that is extremely seasoned. If they want to silence the Phillies right now, they'll do it. Mm -hmm. That's what they ended up doing. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was a great, you know, way to cap off the season. Um, Valdez, are you kidding me? <sighs> just, just pinpoint accuracy. Everything he's throwing is just moving and he has such a deceptive lineup and I kind of always talk about that just just from his kind of he has a kind of weird motion as well kind of you know what I got into last week amazing 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 job by him and also a, a great job by Wheeler as well you know gave it up a little bit towards the end but I think overall the pitching during that game was great um both teams stayed in it and fought to the very to the very last out so um it's a fun world series very fun world series to watch yeah, and one thing I also want to mention too is Dusty guys World Series. Yeah, finally. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, so that was good to see in the way they you know uh, celebrated with them and all that. But yeah, Gabe, what did you think overall about Game Six and 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 you know the Astros winning it? Yeah, you know, but before I get into Game Six, to add up to your point on Dusty, he's right. also the third black 
manager to win a World Series. And he happened to do it in a World Series that hadn't featured a U.S.-born Black player, which was the first World Series Mm -hmm. not to feature a U.S.-born Black player since 1950, I believe, according to the Mm -hmm. Associated Press, who wrote a tremendous article on it prior to game one of the World Series. But one thing I'll say about Houston, you know, to be brief, is that they they show what they have shown all year long, which is resolve. And everything comes back full circle because first game of the playoffs, you're down with two outs. Who comes up to the plate? Gives you three-run home run to win the game. Jordan Alvarez. Bottom of the seventh, 1-0 game. You need a hit. He sends it out with a tracking number, 450 feet. You know, everything just came full circle for this team. Whenever they needed a big hit in the sixth inning or later, Jordan Alvarez always provided that. And I believe he's the first player to ever hit three home runs in a single postseason within the sixth inning or later. And you add that on top of a bullpen that went on a run throughout the entire playoffs with ERA under one, like that's unheard of. So you pretty much were done when the game got to the seventh inning or later against the team. And also Philadelphia, who was the hottest offensive team going into the World Series among all the teams in the playoffs, they batted under 200. That's what sticks out to me the most. Just looking at the entire series, as far as the game, Framber Valdez, I believe, would have had a significant case for the World Series MVP had he not gotten rocked by Kyle Schwarber. Because you mm-hmm. pretty much have to be perfect as a pitcher to win an MVP and mm-hmm. go scoreless, which he almost did. And his curveball was fantastic, as it always is. You heard Miles talk about the pinpoint accuracy and control that he had. He was mm-hmm. very dominant. But this whole pitching staff was dominant throughout the World Series outside of Lance McCullers in Game 3. Everybody was exceptional. I, I got to say... The last time I, I made it on, I, I believe I said that the Phillies had to win in six. And so when they lost game right. five, that was it. That was it for me. And it's, I think the numbers bear that out. Both teams struck out 12 times, but the Phillies had six walks to go with their six hits. Six walks in a one-run loss. You can't lose out on chances like that. No mm-hmm. matter how good the Astros are, you cannot lose on the on the on getting six walks, four of them off the starter. You had Justin Verlander in there for five innings, and even you know you get four hits off him, but you get on base four extra times, and you only get one run across. You you can't you can't win like that. And that's not to say that the Phillies were you know a team. I'm sure that somebody in in the near future will say, well, the Astros were going to win this one. Philly wasn't supposed to be there in the year before. They wouldn't have been there in the playoffs like we talked about before. That was all bullshit. The Phillies staked their claim and they made it to the World Series on merit. The only thing that really hamstrung them late was that nobody could really hit consistently outside of Bryce Harper and Mm -hmm. and Kyle Schwarber for his times where he was going to be up there and just catch one. Reese Hoskins, you know, had his moments in the division series and the championship series, but he was largely absent. Nick Castellanos, could not find the moment for an untimely death on screen because he just could not hit. It just it just seemed like he could not hit the way that he had in the past. And that was not the death knell, but that game five. That's the game you got to win. 
That's that's the game you absolutely have to win. Because Saul, you said it. The Phillies looked unbeatable at home. Mm. And then they lost a heartbreaking game at home. And it's not that they were cooked, because you still got to play one, but I just didn't like their chances going in the six down three two. If they had mm. won game five, I think they can win game six or at least stretch it to seven. But once they lost game five, I thought it was over. And to yeah. add to your point, Chris, add to your point on that, Chris, we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. And I and I said, like, the Phillies not scoring with runners in scoring position was their doom. But in my eyes, they lost all the momentum in game four. Because to start off the playoffs, six and oh, in your building, in Citizens Bank Park, where it was rocking, you win big time in your first World Series home game in 13 years. Only the next night to get no hit by Christian Javier and Abreu and Presley, among other relievers, that's that's a tough way to lose. In, in some cases, you better off losing a, a 3-2 game than to lose mm-hmm. the way that they did in mm-hmm. game four. When you, when you have the hottest offense in baseball who puts up a seven spot in game three and you get no hit the next day, like that, that's rough to recover from, especially when you play three straight days in a series where emotions are running at an all-time high on the biggest stage with a championship on the line. Yeah, not not only that, but they're known they were known for their bats. You know, like they got their mo- like don't get me wrong, their pitching did a great job, their starting pitching did a great job for, you know, going into the World Series, but they're known for their bats and they were just shut down. But I mean, yeah, but at the same time, it's you have to give, you know, pl- plenty of the credit to as, you know, Chris said with the bullpen. I mean, yeah, that bullpen was nasty. That might have been the nastiest bullpen if not if not nastier than the World Series winning uh, Royals in 2015. Like, it, you know what I mean? It's just, it's it's just, it was that good. And it's and it's crazy because nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about, you know, in 2015, it was like Calvin Herrera, Wade Davis, you know, people were talking about that. But, like, nobody talks about this because they're just guys that aren't, like, household names, you know, with Abreu and, you know, uh, Presley and just in general like that. You know, they're not guys that jump off the page, but they're as good as it gets. And they, they got it done and, you know, credit to them. Um for just another, I mean, it's just, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's, I don't want to get into a, a point in getting into the metaphysics of baseball, but how many relievers are household names these days? Because that Astros team that won a few years back, I thought we'd be seeing those guys forever. Davinsky, uh, mm-hmm. Diekman, oh gosh. And they had some other guys in that bullpen who were just lights out monsters. And was now, the year they had Osuna? They had Osuna? Or no, Robert yeah, Roberto that was the year they yeah. changed yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, you know, how many of those guys do you hear about on a regular basis as being shut down guys? Now, I think yeah, things nah. go in waves, but you know how mm-hmm. it is with bullpens and what teams are looking for. They're looking for high-volume high, high, uh, high volume strikeouts and, and high miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just it, – it really burns guys out, and I don't know if that's talked about enough. That's why I didn't want to get into a long conversation about it. But mm-hmm. as good as this Astros bullpen is, I want to see how they fare over the next two – possibly three seasons because I hate the fact that we get these guys who shine on the big stage, the way the baseball is now. And then they disappear because of the nature of the game. I want those guys to be successful, but I don't know how many, how, how much of a household name they'll be. Yeah. I think, I think when it comes to relievers, I think it's a very, they're very underappreciated, but not undervalued. Um, what, What I see a lot of, you know, I, I think I think we could all agree with we we see we see a lot of these guys get moved around a lot, um, just because a lot of 
a lot of teams feel that they can, hey, you know, we're going to ship this guy and get these two prospects or get this lefty. But at the end of the day, these relievers and and the Astros proved that they're so important because you can get a guy that's going to go six, seven dominant. um, But he might be, his pitch count might be 120 or or 120. It might might be like 90 pitchers or whatever the case may be. I don't know why I said 120. Um, (laughs) It's it's like a time machine. I'm really from 1970. Um, No. (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, it's just th- these guys are so valuable when it comes to the game because they're picking up the slack of the of the starter, whether it was a good start or a bad start. Um, I I do I do feel like there are organizations who value them to a certain extent, but I do really feel like for the most part they are people. You know, a lot of these GMs feel like they're very like you know expendable, um, which I think isn't 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 it because you know. I don't, the, the starting pitching was amazing, but I don't think the Astros go as far as they do without the support of the bullpen. I think that goes for pretty much any baseball team ever. Yeah, especially going into the like the postseason, the way you know how important bullpens are. Um, you don't, you know, see a lot of teams that win without you know a, a, you know a pretty great bullpen. And what's funny is that kind of talking about that and related to Chicago, I I did think besides. You know, and again, this could be a whole segment. Um, but you know, talking about the Cubs bullpen in 2016, I don't think was like, you know, it didn't stand out to you, and yet somehow they were able to win. I mean, they closed it out with, they were trying to close it out with C.J. Edwards, Carl Edwards Jr., and then they, you know, they closed it out with uh, Mike Montgomery, and that's just like they're not, and they're not bad pitches or anything, but like, that's just it's just funny to me it obviously obviously has to do with you know the fact that it was also the, you know the 10th inning but still um you know there wasn't besides the this chapman there wasn't like an overpowering arm that you're going to be like oh my god you know but it it's just the way i guess baseball works especially after the year that that was after the year that the royals won it with their bullpen so i thought that, that's particularly funny um but uh in that case you know also it's just you know astros doing their thing and probably going to be back in the world series next year. I mean, it's just, you know, the way it is. Um, But kind of going now to off season stuff. So we'll we'll cover most of the off season stuff in the next episode when it comes to uh, Cubs and White Sox and just uh, where free agents are going to go and all that. But I want to get your guys' opinions on the MLB award awards that uh, the nominees just came out uh, in the last couple of days. And, plenty of interesting you know picks plenty of easy ones and plenty of uh plenty of ones that you know we'd have to you know break down for sure uh but uh first of all we'll start off with um uh the mvps so in the american league they have jordan alvarez uh from the astros aaron judge from the yankees and shohei otani from the angels uh we'll start off with you miles what do you who do you think is going to be the american league mvp this year Damn. Okay, so so if you would have asked me the same question a month ago, I would have I would have been like Aaron Judge, like that. What I kind of why I'm kind of in between Judge and Otani is because Otani had actually had a very solid year, not only offensively, but he pitched amazing this year. He put up incredible numbers on the mound. Um and, and, you know, Jordan Alvarez had an, had an incredible year as well. And I think 
you know, you you kind of you kind of look at you kind of look at the finish the judges' season. I hope that doesn't play too much of a role into it. Um, but part of me feels like it is. Um, I, I'm still gonna say Aaron Judge, but I'm I'm a little bit torn between Judge and Otani. But like you know, it, it could just as well be is is Alvarez as well. Um, so I'm gonna say Judge, but very cautiously. What do you gave? What do you think? For me, if I was gonna reward another player, the American League MVP award that wasn't Aaron Judge, I, I have no disrespect towards Shohei Otani. What he does is incredible on a night-to-night basis. And to be able to have yourself ready every fifth day or fourth day as a starter and produce the way he has deserves to be rewarded as it was last year in some capacity. But it probably would have been Jose Ramirez from Cleveland. The guy is just the RBI manufacturer, man. He put you the third or third straight year driving in 100-plus RBIs or more, drove in 126 this year, batted 280. has been the total definition of what a true leader is supposed to be in a clubhouse, and not only in the clubhouse but on the field because he always shows up to work. I don't know how you go against Aaron Judge. I just don't. Mm -hmm. The guy did something that has not been done in the American League since 1961. He also kept the Yankees' offense afloat during the time in the dog days of the summer where it was putrid to watch. It really was. He, it, it, to me, you take Aaron Judge off of the New York Yankees, they are a, a fringe wildcard team. That's what they are. Yep. He had that team go to American League Championship Series. He led them there on his back, and he was the single-handing driving force behind their hot start to open up the season. He took a bet on himself, surpassed like a four-point extension, a contract extension, and said, hey, I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to win. And that's what he did. And now somebody's going to have to pay him, whether it's the Yankees or one of the other 29 teams in the MLB. But he's deserving of the American League MVP to me. It's just... He batted over 300 while doing it, too. And he also has a nice glove in the outfield. I don't know how you go against it. Go ahead, Chris. It's tough to argue with any one of those points, because in my head, at first, I wanted to say what it should be is probably Alvarez, Otani, Judge, in that order of voting. And then I, I backtrack just because even as nice as de- designated hitters as we've had in this league before the universal DH, it's just hard to vote in a DH as I think MVP because as much as people want to try and ignore it, baseball has defense and defense is important no matter how many strikeouts pitchers throw now. You, know, you have to be a, a quality defender, I think. And it, it's spelled out by the fact that as much as we've talked about Jose Ramirez just now, as much as we, as good as we know Jose Ramirez is, he was the second place finisher on the, on the Cleveland team in war by more than a game behind Andre Jimenez, who is not as good a hitter. And so I really want to I really want to put Alvarez in there because he is so dangerous. He's just such a dangerous player. 
But when you're hitting against the Astros, he's not a factor because he's not in the field. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I would give it to Otani over, over the other two guys because of the fact that he's not just, you know, I would still put him in the outfield if, because I'm a crazy person who shouldn't be managing a baseball team. But I, he's, he's got a plus arm if you put him in the outfield. And that's mm-hmm. a guy that you can put in, uh, you know, if, if you really, oh, I, want it. I would love to see Otani pitch and then, you know, play the outfield somehow in some, some universe that's happening. Not in this one, just some universe. <laughs> but I, I'd have to put him in there over over either of those two guys because of what Miles said. He's he's such an above average pitcher. He's one of those guys who come from the East Asian countries who reliably get six pitches over the plate at any given time. Shout out to young Yu Darvish. And I'm gonna be petty about it because I know there are so many dick riders who want to give Aaron Judge the MVP, <laughs> and I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen, man. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see Roger Maris Jr. any more than I have to. I want to hear Ken Rosenthal or whoever just, you know, crying tears of joy over over Yankee brilliance. I'm not trying to hear it, bro. So Otani Alvarez Judge. That's my order of voting. Let me be on the record about this when it comes to Aaron Judge. I respect what the hell he did this season. But I am not in the Roger Maris Jr. camp. I do not believe that that is the all-time home run record. Yeah. It is for the American League. And mm-hmm. I give him credit for breaking a 60-year-old record mm-hmm. in the American League, a 61-year-old record in the American League, matter of fact. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that, especially in a league that's had so many power hitters that did not do it within that time span. But he he he's not the the all time home run king or the true home run king to, to be. To I still give Barry Bonds his respect. I was eight years old, but I knew what my eyes were witnessing in two thousand one. I knew exactly what my eyes were witnessing, and that was history. Whether you agree with how he did it or not, yeah, hundred percent. I hundred percent agree with that. Like, yeah, the fact that he would even say that. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. Anyways, but uh. I will say this. I was gonna pick Aaron Judge too, but I won't. I won't go too long before Chris leaves. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I was gonna say Aaron Judge just because of the whole, just because of the historic uh, aspects of it. Uh, I wanted to give it to Otani. Like that's the whole season. I was like Otani, Otani, not just because I picked him to win MVP before the season started, but I wanted. I just because, just because I can't. I, I'll never get over the fact that he does both. Like it just to me, it's just insane every time I think about it. And just how impressive it is, and to not only do it, but to do it how well he does it, uh, and he'll get another one. He'll he'll win another one. Uh, but I I just think that ultimately, just the history part of Aaron Judge. I think if if Judge doesn't if Judge doesn't hit um you know sixty two or whatever, if he hit maybe hit like fifty six home runs, it changes the conversation. I'm not saying he wouldn't win it, but it changes the conversation uh, because I think when you I think when you break it down a little more too. Aaron judge was a little, was probably the most valuable of the three. When you look at each team, because angels, you know, angels are the angels <laughs> and uh, the Astros. Yeah. And the, and the uh, Astros <laughs> probably not, I'm not saying they would win the world series, but the Astros would have been in the playoffs without automatism. I think I, think. but um, yeah, I just think that's, you know, the way I, I looked at it. Um but yeah, moving on now to the national national league MVP, which which I think is I, I would say is is 
definitely way closer. Uh, you have Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, a pair of Cardinals, unfortunately. Uh, Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado. When I saw the graphic, um, tough, it was tough to look at as a Cubs fan, but <laughs> uh, but it's okay uh, because you know we've had you know Kyle Hendricks and Arietta nominated, so it's fine. I'll, I'll you know I'll, that's why I let it slide. But uh, you know I'll just say this: I think you really, it, I don't think there's a wrong answer between. Uh, Machado and Goldschmidt. I think Arenado finishes third in mine uh, every time. Uh, even though Arenado, I, Arenado is amazing in just every aspect. Um, I just think that Goldschmidt and, and Machado, you know, had their, you know, they're the most important player on each team. And then also uh, Machado. I just think Machado for sure is is my pick to win it, um, just because uh, with the way that Goldschmidt and Arenado played, I think they kind of and I think speaking from like a, if like the voters perspective, I think it's gonna, they're going to cancel each other out. Um, but yeah, I would think probably for me, it'd be Machado just because of how important he was to the Padres. I think without him, they wouldn't have been where they, you know, where they ended up. And I don't think they beat the uh, Dodgers without him either. Um, but yeah, that's just me. We'll, we'll start. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris, this time. What did, what did you think? What do you think is, uh, or who do you think is the NL MVP? That, I don't know if it's tougher or if it's easier. It's, it's, Gosh, I don't know why Paul Goldsmith on the Cardinals just never jumps out on the page for me. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like his powers decline. It might be some anti-St. Louis bias on me. I, I don't want to <laughs> say that. I really don't want to say that's it because but there's just something. I feel like guys get to St. Louis and they get boring, man. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Well, that's that's why Goldsmith that, and that's why that's why Goldsmith uh, fits in there so well because he is he like He's I feel like milk toast. Yeah, he like he like <laughs> he basically like personifies St. Louis, right? It's just like oh where God. it's not not flashy, <laughs> and he just gets it done. That's all it is. Yeah, and it's like because I, I watched him on those on those Diamondbacks teams, not as mm-hmm. much as you know being a being an AL guy, but I watched him on those Diamondbacks teams, same as I watched Arenado on those Rockies teams, and they jumped off the page to me. I think I think the tough thing is with both of them on the Cardinals, they're they're gonna they're going to take away some of the shine from each other. And there's just that, that kind of like it's blandness to St. Louis that, that mm-hmm. makes them a little bit less desirable, even than even Manny Machado on a Padres team that had another chance and, and still somehow underwhelmed. <sighs> year in, year out. I think year in, year out, Arenado is a guy who is an MVP conversation because of mm-hmm. his bat and his glove. His glove is probably going to decline over the next couple of years. Uh, same as Goldschmidt's playing a non-premium position at first base, which is why I want to lean towards Machado. But God, I could—I feel like I could pick a name out of a hat, and that's not for a, a good or bad reason. It's just mm-hmm. because they all had exceptional seasons that didn't lead to great exceptional seasons for their teams. I mm-hmm. think that's what's kind of pulling me back. Whereas it's just an almost a toss up. I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you guys disagree, and I hope you do because I want to get more more input. I would, I would go Arenado because the Padres bounced back from a terrible finish last year, and he was the main reason for that. Whereas the Cardinals, you know, made the postseason again somehow, some way, and that's I, I can't say more than that. What do you think, Gabe? 
I, first off, I, I understand the St. Louis talk. I'm not I'm not much of a National League guy myself, but coming up as a kid, when I did watch the National League, I always watched Atlanta and I always watched St. Louis. I, I have to admit it. The Cub fans made me watch St. Louis a lot because of their hate for them and because they always had success on the field. I, I just I couldn't help but be enamored with their, their team and the uniforms help too. But in my opinion, I agree with you, Saul. It's Manny Machado. I was back and forth on it for a while. If you asked me in June, I'd have said Paul Goldsmith. It's kind of impressive, his his run. And he's always been a guy who wasn't the most popular player, but he gets the job done wherever he goes. He's a guy that's worth the price of admission to see if you're a baseball fan. But I'm going to go with Manny Machado for the reason being that he stepped up as a leader for this team in San Diego this season. You think about everything that, transpired and took place with Fernando Tatis thinking he was coming back off of his injury again suspended for PED usage and nevertheless Manny said hey I'm here you paid me the big money for a reason I'm gonna show you why he batted close to 300 he hit over 30 home runs he drove in 100 and he showed leadership each and every day and even though they did underwhelm in the LCS who had them even getting to the LCS mm -hmm. I know this is a regular season award but Manny Machado had an excellent year, and I, I believe he deserves to be rewarded for it. I, I, I get Chris' argument for Nolan Arenado because he was a guy who a lot of people thought was, his numbers were inflated because he plays at Coors Field, and he's still hitting 30-plus, driving in 100, batting over 290 year in and year out in St. Louis, and I commend him for being one of the few guys in all of Major League Baseball, who seeks to play 145-plus games or more year in and year out. You can right tell on. that Nolan loves the grind. But Manny, Manny, to me, he's just too hard to pass up. Because without him, I don't believe that the Padres are in the thick of the playoff conversation for most of the year. And they sure as hell don't get there without him. What do you think, Miles? I 100% agree. I think, you know, it was... And me and me being me being the big Nolan Arenado fan that I am, aside from the Cardinals jersey, which I'll never put on in my life. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think Manny was so valuable to this team. And, and I think Gabe made a great point. They needed that leader. And he was that leader this year on top of you know being that that leader in the dugout and then performing as as well as he did. That's so valuable to, to a team. Um, and then kind of the growth and his maturity this year, I think that really stood out a lot as well this year. And then a little bit last year, too. A lot of people don't like Manny Machado because we, we have a lot of significant Manny Machado moments that we can point to. But one thing I really like this year is that we saw a lot of growth in him as a person, kind of realizing I'm not one of the young guys anymore, but I can still relate to the young guys and I can show them the way to do it because I've done it wrong sometimes. That's where I really, uh, really admire him as a ball player. And that's where I think that he earns it. I mean, Arenado, come on, man, Arenado, he's, he's dope. And then, and then Paul Goldschmidt, I mean, I mean, seriously, like, like who told you to hit that much? Like, like who made you? <laughs> and, and, and so, and so, you know, these are three amazing, amazing, um, you know, candidates right now that, that we're looking at and we can all point to their numbers. But I think in terms of the leadership aspect, which, which, um, which is so valuable, you can put up great numbers, but you could also be a crappy leader. Clearly Manny Machado led this team, um, 
in a way that, you know, we're never going to be able to truly understand because we're not his teammates. Um, but to see that leadership and to see the Padres come together the way they did um, after, you know, that the very unfortunate news of Tatis to still make it this far, I, I got to go with Manny Machado. No, yeah. I, that, I mean, the way I looked at it, too, is and you made a great point in the fact that how, how he matured, especially when they needed him the most, you know, with the whole Tatis thing. You know, obviously going that way, and and, uh, um, and you know that that's you know that's a conversation for another day. But I mean, that decent Machado again going to be back next year. That changes a little bit of the NL West landscape as well as the NL. But um, all right, so we'll move on now to the National the National League Cy Young, and um, this one's another one that I'm not necessarily saying it's super close, but there's plenty uh, to break down here. It's uh, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, uh, Max Fried from the Braves and Julio Urias from the Dodgers. Now, um, I feel like anyone could say Urias and, or Alcantara, honestly. I think um, Max Fried, for me, as good as he was, I, I would still I would still pick the, um, you know, the other two. Um, but I, I would probably, for me, I'm going to go with Urias. I just think what he did for the Dodgers was impressive. And I feel like he's over, I feel like he's overlooked. I don't know if it's just me, but. And in, in, in the Dodgers, which I guess is not necessarily uh, that surprising because it's just the Dodgers and every year they have a plenty, uh, like, uh, uh, plenty of uh, options in, in the rotation, uh, you know, especially with Bueller, Kershaw. So I guess that's probably why. But I think this is the year that Udias finally breaks uh, through and gets that that Cy Young. I think Alcantara had it for a long, a long part of the season. Um, and he, he I guess you could say fell off a little bit um, compared to what he did earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, for me, I'd probably pick Guria. So, uh, we'll start with you again this time, uh, Miles. Who do you think will be the NL Cy Young Award this year? Oh gosh, it's difficult. I think I'm gonna go with mm-hmm. Max Free because I think mm-hmm. he was solid for the majority of the year. Um, you know, I think I think Julio Arias is another great, great, um, another great candidate. And you know, kind of like you said earlier, Sandy Alcantara. I think he got hit kind of hard in those last few months of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of. You know, I was keep. I kept a pretty close radar on him, and I was able to see him pitch earlier this year with my brother in Miami, which was so cool to see. And just his stuff, how he buries it, is incredible. Um, but I'm leaning towards uh, Max Fried. I really am. Um, I think his command on the mound, um, his his consistency throughout the season, aside from a few starts here, also towards the end, where he got hit pretty hard, where the Braves needed him the most. Um, I just like the year that he put together. I really did. Um. I think I think, you know, he's also young enough to the point where I think he's gonna be even better in even two or three years on the mound. So, I'm going in with uh, Max Fried, but also you know Julio Arias, an amazing year on the mound, and and he's had quite this story. He, he's gone through quite a quite a uh, quite a lot with the Dodgers. So to see him pitch as dominant as he did this year on the mound, it's you know it, it's incredible. Um, you can go with either one. I'm gonna go with Max Fried. Go ahead, Gabe. I have to reward pitchers in this era who don't care about pitch counts. I have to reward pitchers in this era who go over 220 innings in a season, as well as look to take the ball in the bottom or top part of the ninth with their team being up. I just admire that. And there's only one guy on this list that did that night in, night out when he was dominant. 
and that's Sandy Alcantara. 228 and two-thirds innings. I don't know if we'll ever see that again. And it took the Miami Marlins shutting him down in order for him not to go over that. Mm-hmm. Yes, towards the end of the season, he got rocked. But he was getting rocked by some damn good teams, with the L.A. Dodgers being one of them. You you kind of just have to tip your hat, you know, to that offense, as great as they are some days and nights against many teams across the National League and beyond. But Alcantara is the definition of an ace to me. And that's a guy who Miami can build around. And it just makes me wonder, could you imagine if they had him and the late Jose Fernandez together with that one-two of a punch? Miami has a tremendous amount of building blocks that they can use for the future if they do aspire to become a winner someday in an ever-tough NL East division. But Alcantara is the main piece. And I know St. Louis has to be kicking themselves for how did we let this guy go? Mm-hmm. Because he's the Cy Young to me this year. And he managed to pitch that many innings and still have an ERA under three, which is very impressive to me. He didn't win 20 games, and he had talent to where he could have, but he just didn't have the pieces around him, to, in my opinion, to do that. But he is the Cy Young Award winner to me, without question. Go ahead, Chris. I got to agree. Um, it's not just because we're hearing a contour's name year, uh, month in and month out. It's because, the, and I love Jose, Jose um, I love Julio Arias. Sorry. I've been wanting to see him break out, like you said, Saul, for the last few years now. And I think with Walker Bueller going down, that magnified his role uh, more on the, on the Dodgers. And he was allowed to shine. He was able to shine and he shined. I've been waiting for him to shine the last few years now because, you know, Another dude with glasses. We got to like. We got to like them when they get when they get that run. But <laughs> Alcantara Al- Al- on the Marlins. This year's iteration of the Marlins, who are still kind of finding their way in the wake of Derek Jeter's um, whatever you want to call it of the team, was was a really bright spot for them. And it's just really cool. I think when you see teams like that have a, a pitcher in that vein where it's like, okay, you know, this team might not be great, but they got a guy that we're going to have to deal with today or, you know, possibly this week. And we have to game plan for him, or we're just going to have to take our ass kicking like men like that was that 72 Phillies team that Steve Carlson was on that won 59 games. And he had what 30 or 25 wins, something like that. Oh my God. It's like, it's like Gabe said, when are we going to see that again? And it's, you know, you say what you want about longevity, but I think it is a shame that we're not seeing regular 200-inning guys, you know, now that Verlander's on the verge of retirement. So if we have a guy like Alcantara who is going to be able to take the ball every five days and give you seven innings, we're going to have to treasure that. So giving him a Cy Young is the least that uh, the voters could do. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I cannot argue with that. I mean, how good he was and and especially within it. I will say this. Uh, Sandy would not have a problem with uh, Miles' 120 pitch um, uh, limit. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Definitely not. That's the guy you're talking about right there. Long day at work, guys. Long day at work the past few days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, because of time, we'll finish off with the AL Cy Young, but I left this one last on purpose because, of course, 
it ha- actually involves somebody from Chicago in this one, uh, as of course it is uh, it is Alec Manoa from the Blue Jays, Justin Verlander from the Astros, and of course from the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease. Now this one, it, it you know, it, I think when you break it down, and when I've looked at when I looked at, it, I'm like, eh, you know, these are these are three great pitchers, but I think for me. I probably would have to go with Verlander, um, but it could really go. I mean, see, Alec Manoa, what he did too, I think was almost like you can almost compare it to with the numbers, at least not necessarily the the innings and all that, but compared to Alcantara, they were just so dominant for most of the season. Um, and uh, I really thought at one point Manoa was going to, you know, run away with it. But, and, and honestly, you look at what Verlander did, I think was just, ridiculous especially for fred his age um but yeah for me i'd go verlander uh and uh we'll start with you chris who do you think is the uh cy young for the american league yeah, like you said manoa was he deserved to start the, start the all-star game mm-hmm. um he was the frontline guy for a blue jays team that i don't know how they i still don't know exactly how they didn't make it I still don't know how they underwhelmed, even you know playing in that wild card game against the um, against the Mariners, because as tight as it was in the AL East, that was a team that I expected to be you know rock solid into the playoffs and make a lot of noise. But Manoa was their guy; he was the guy that they trusted with the ball, and he's in his. That was his second full season in the big leagues. That's very telling. He hopefully cross your fingers, has a long career ahead of him as just not just a bulldog starter, but a guy who can just wipe you out and then let you know about it on your way back to the dugout. That's the type of guy he is. And those guys are, uh, I think even as, as the, as the league has gotten more demonstrative, we still don't necessarily see that from starting pitchers as much. Justin Verlander, I've watched him for years and years and years. Now I have a soft spot for him because of why he chose his number and for him to pitch this well in his, what was his 17th season was incredible. The, I think it was a testament to that fact that the White Sox got him in that one game in Houston. And he was just like, yeah, you know, they got me. And then he proceeded to go out there and, and kick ass for the next couple of months and then do it finally when it counted in the playoffs. That was the big thing for me, you know, not just, Two years ago, I think it was, but he got he got it done in the playoffs definitively. You know, there was no real questioning of it. And then you saw what you saw pretty much all season from Dylan Cease until the very end. This was his coming out party. That near no hitter in Chicago was was magic. You could see it, I think, early on, not just because he wasn't striking guys out, because of the fact that he was so efficient and the hard hit balls were going right at fielders, and it took a world-class contact hitter in um, Luis Arias to get him to get him out of that no-hitter. So all that being said, um, Dylan Cease is the winner by a mile. I don't even know these other guys. There's no question that Dylan Cease is the best guy in the American League this year, and I have no bias on that whatsoever. <laughs> it, it's all it's all good. I mean, it's kind of like I was gonna say that uh, I was like. Uh, I cannot, I cannot pick Julio Rios for the NL Sion because he's Mexican. I got to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the beef, the beef goes on, bro. 
<laughs> what, 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 what do you think, Miles? Who, who's uh, who's your AL signing, man? Uh, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander. You know, and, and you know what's crazy? I want to say Dylan Cease as well. I, you know, I, I, I think Chris said everything that needed to be said about Dylan Cease this year. You know, I, I, incredible, incredible year. Uh, the, the near no hitter, awesome mustache. Uh, I just, you know, I gotta, I gotta go with Justin Verlander. I think for him to be as dominant as he is at his age and, and to, you know, really just be as lights out in general, in general, I, I just, there's, there's nothing more to really say there in terms of just, uh, just a true ball player, a true professional, um, you know, kind of, kind of evolving with age. I think that's really cool. Um, so I, I gotta go with Justin Verlander. This does just, uh, the 1.75 ERA and just, just, incredible it's and i think um still wasn't talked about enough this year i think specifically because he does play for the astros um but you know i think for me personally and 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 what i what i look for in teammates and in ball players and the people who i admire and what i'm seeing i gotta go with justin verlander i think he absolutely dominated this year you got it i have a conflict of interest in this (laughs) Because I am a Sox fan, and I was at Dylan Cease's near no hitter against Minnesota. I I was at that game, and you could feel it from the the third, the fourth inning, just quietly watching in the seat like I was that something special was gonna happen that night. And I've been the two near no hitters, and that one by far was the one that I'm still shocked was not a no hitter mm-hmm. because of how dominant he was on that few pitches. And I saw him turn a corner that night going long longer in the game, which is something that a lot of White Sox fans would complain about and was probably their only gripe about in the season. Verlander, yeah, incredible. For a guy that only pitched six innings in the last couple of years coming into this season, to do what he did, impressive. Hall of Famer. But I... I, I we haven't seen one since the year I was born, man, 1993 with Jack Black McCall. And I I would just love to see a pitcher win it for the White Sox. And and to me, this is the year. I, I just I just believe it. Like Mal said, the, the guy wasn't an all-star. And he, he went from May through August only giving up one earned run or less in every single start. And he did it with only two pitches, fastball and a slider. He has a curveball that's underdeveloped and a changeup that he's still working on. He was still able to be that dominant. And every time he took the mound, I was of the mindset that it was a win. Verlander, I think he will get it because of the narrative. And he's a deserving winner. I want to make that clear. But I, I think it, it. I think it's time that a, a Cy Young Award winner is is back on the South Side, and I think they. I think they will have one when it's all said and done. I, I'm hopeful. I mean, the guy, he he wasn't an All Star, according to what they said. But anybody who watched this season, I think they knew, and I think even Verlander kind of knew. And I think Verlander's injury toward the latter portion of the year opened up the national audience's eyes enough to see Dylan Cease to know hey, that this guy's a real deal. He's only going to get better. All right. But, yeah, so uh, uh, Miles had to leave us, but he'll be back uh, for next week's episode. Uh, but one thing I wanted to say for the, uh, the the American League Cy Young was 
Dylan Cease, yeah. I mean, he, he's – I think he's going to – if he doesn't win one this year, he's going to win one eventually. He's just too nasty and also just still developing with his pitches, as you said, Gabe, uh, with, you know, um, if he just, you know, I feel like he's that close to being one of the best, if not the best pitcher in the American League, let alone in Major League Baseball. Like he's that good. His stuff's that nasty. And to be honest, is having him in the Cubs system, I never expected him to be at least up to this to this point. I thought him to he could you know could have easily been a two, um, you know, but now he's a full blown ace. So um, yeah, I think that's you know it definitely if he ends up uh, with the upset, I would not be I would not be upset. No pun intended. But I think it's going to be. Uh, definitely interesting to see where they go with it, but you are right in the in the fact that it's a narrative thing with Verlander. He's probably going to win, especially because you know his career's you know coming to a close, whether it be this year, next year, whatever it is. So um, we'll see what you know where where they go. Um, but I think that is a good place to wrap it for uh, episode thirty two of the At Bat Baseball Podcast. Uh, I want to thank Chris and Gabe for joining me this week. Uh, hopefully you guys can come on next week. Uh, next week we'll preview the off season as well as uh, I think sum up a lot, a few of the awards that have will, will already had been given out. Uh, but for, yeah, for sure. Thanks. For, thanks for joining us guys. Appreciate Anytime. it, man. Anytime. Only three, only three winners in the history of the White Sox franchise to win a Cy Young award. Hasn't happened since the year I was born. Dylan Cease would be the fourth. So I, I hope he's able to capitalize on it because it doesn't come that often. On 35th and Shields. That's what you Yeah, that man. I, I remember when Early Wayne won that one. I was about 15. It was, <laughs> it was, it was going off at the soda fountain. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to end it right there, guys. So hopefully, uh, I'll, uh, if if Dylan Cease wins it, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be thinking of you guys. So, all right. All Thanks right, guys. Hopefully, everyone have, have a good week, and we'll see you next, next episode. I'll see you.